0: been in a series on the book of first and Second Peter. We're still in First Peter uh, where I think we're a little bit, uh, over halfway or right at half at the halfway mark. Uh, we are today in 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're going to be looking through verses 7 through 11. So if you want to go ahead and turn there this morning, I'm going to go ahead and read through the passage of Scripture, and then we're just going to kind of take a minute to just break it down and see what God's Word has to say to each of us today. And as I say that, I want you to understand that I, God is speaking into my heart as I long for Him to speak into your heart. Okay, this is not something that, as as I stand behind this thing that we would call a podium or a pulpit, that gives me anything that's above you. We are together in this journey. We are walking through uh, life together. I am going through God's word and studying God's word, trying to apply it just like you are. Um, I'm not perfect at it, just like you aren't. And so, uh, so as we go through it today. Let's go through it together and see what God is going to teach us together, that we can apply it and make sure that we're living these things out uh, amongst this world that we live in. So let's, let's begin right now, verse 7 in chapter 4, 1 Peter. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion, forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray real quick and then we'll dive into it. Jesus, we ask you for your wisdom. We ask you for your direction. Teach us today. Teach our hearts. Open it up. Uh, Open up your words, the truths of your words. um, Reveal them to us so that we could be changed people, that we would walk out of this place One, knowing you for the very first time if we don't know you, but God, also those that know you, that we would be different and live in such a way that would show this world who you are. Again, we thank you for your word that you've entrusted with us right now. God, speak to us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as a student pastor, um, I have the great opportunity to to work with this generation. This generation is called Generation Z uh, that, that we are in right now. Um, it's a it's a, a, an amazing generation. There's a lot of people that will speak ill of it, but don't speak ill of it around me because I love it. I love every bit of them. I, I've been a part of a few generations of working with them as I've been doing student ministry since just my audience. But, but But I'll tell you, one of the areas that I have loved working with students in particular— Outside the church is in the area of coaching. I've I've coached over the years. I've coached several different sports as an assistant coach, as a head coach. I've done basketball. I've done football. And and my my love is baseball. I, I do enjoy the other sports, but that's like my passion, my first love. I'm a big baseball guy. I see that thumbs up. Yes, sir. And You can say amen if you want, but but it's up to you. Thumbs up is great. Uh, but but I'll tell you that I love I love watching the game of baseball. I'm a big Braves fan. Um, like that's right. That's right. So I I I enjoy that game. I also played the game and as a coach of the game, I wanted to pass on the love of the game to another generation of baseball players. I I love investing in them for the game of baseball, but there was always an underlying uh, idea of why I would uh, coach baseball, and that is so I could gain a relationship with a group of young men so that I could ultimately share the gospel with them. I I remember the first year uh, that I coached baseball. It was actually at Columbia County. My my wife and I, um, we were just recently married at that point. We didn't have kids. And some people would say, then why did you coach the county? Because it's only dads that usually coach the county. Like, who's going to take the time out of their life to do something like that? I did. I loved it that much. And and I signed up to coach the 15 to 18-year-old boys or teenagers, okay? and And if you know anything about the county, uh, baseball, especially at that age, if they're playing Columbia County baseball from 15 to 18 years old, that means that they did not play in their high school team, they, whether it was because they weren't good enough or, but, or life would not allow them to do so. There were several guys on my team that were good enough to play for their, their uh, high school baseball team But life circumstances wouldn't allow it because maybe they had a a single parent or single mom to which she was trying to work, and they had to work after school to help make ends meet or whatever that may be. Life circumstances wouldn't allow them to play baseball. But there was something special about this team. I fell in love with, with them from the very beginning. They had a ton of talent. I mean, it had zero to do with this guy or anything that I was teaching them, even though I was helping to mold them and shape them and teach them the game, I had a real tough time uh, trying to make them better because a lot of them were really good already. And, and so what comes with being really good already is the fact that you get a little cocky sometimes, right? Anybody like that? Anybody who's saying, like, you're good? Yes, sir, I see that hand. Just say amen, sir. Uh, like, like, we all get it. Sometimes we're really good at something. We can get a little bit cocky about something, and we need a little bit of a wake-up call. Like, like there were sometimes in this particular, with this particular team, like, we would play against a team that we should totally run rule, and for some of you that don't know what run rule means, it's like a mercy rule, that if you get into the fourth or fifth inning, and you're beating them by 10, 12, 15 runs, depending on the rule, uh, for the mercy rule itself, that they kind of call the game off and say, okay, you win, okay, we get you, you're better than us, okay, and and, and they kind of stop the game. But we were playing teams that we should have, run ruled or mercy ruled and didn't quite mercy rule them or we were only like up by a run and it was the fourth or fifth inning. And in that age group you only play seven innings. So so you don't even make it to the seventh inning stretch. I mean like like you're you're playing seven innings and you get to that fifth inning you're only winning three to two and it's like guys I, I, I can't remember like the like it was yesterday. I would say guys understand that when you're playing a team that's not as good as you and you're only barely beating them, they start to think they can win, and sometimes they do. And you get to a place where you have to remind them that, hey, y'all, it's almost the seventh inning. It's almost the end of the game. Let's wake up. Let's get things in place so that we can win this game. Now, here's here's what's interesting uh, about that. Because each sport, um, as well as other things in life, we have these kind of like last minute, last call. You know, fourth quarter in the in football. When the fourth quarter hits, everybody goes. You know, they put up their fourth four fingers, and it's like a reminder. Hey, there you go. Thank you, sir. Um, that you put up the fourth quarter. It's like we got one more quarter left. The end is almost here. Okay, in, in uh, baseball, you got the se- typically the seventh inning stretch, and in. Uh, Boston, the Boston Red Sox, they, they, uh, every eighth inning, they play Sweet Caroline, okay? And it's like an exciting moment. If you've ever been to, to Fenway Park, like, you don't even have to like the Red Sox. And it's like, wow, this is amazing. The whole place is singing Sweet Caroline. We should try it. No, we're not going to do that. But, uh, but, but I can tell you that the coaches use that to say, hey, guys, the game's almost over they're playing Sweet Caroline. We better get things in order. And what you're seeing here in this passage of scripture in First Peter chapter 4 and verse 7, we're seeing Peter start to give a quick reminder, hey, y'all, it's almost over. Now, he didn't use the word y'all. I don't know they think they did that in, in Israel back in the day, but, but, but I'm pretty sure that whatever that terminology was, he was just saying, hey, The end is here, because we see that as he starts things off. The end of all things is at hand. Now, some people would take a look at this and say, well, that was about 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, Peter's saying the end is at hand. The end of all things is at hand. So, like, it's been 2,000 years. When's the end going to get here? Or is this just like a false motivation kind of thing? Okay, As a coach, there's some false motivation kind of things you kind of do sometimes to get them motivated and whatever it takes to motivate them, but that's not what this is. The end of all things is at hand is is basically day by day it's approaching because the end of all things is coming soon or is at hand. It means that every day that goes by, the end may come. But what is the end? What is the end that, that Peter is speaking of here? Now, there's a couple of different things that people would say that, that the end may be death, and that is very true. We see over in Hebrews chapter 9, uh, Hebrews chapter 9 verse 20 says, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes a judgment. So that tells us real quick that the end for, for our lives is death. That, and that, that was birthed into this world back in the garden when sin entered the world. That, that scripture tells us that because of our sin, there's death. That's what's going to happen. But I don't know that that's specifically what the end is that Peter is talking about here. Because even in Hebrews, as we continue the next verse, um, verse 28 says, So Christ has been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with the sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. It mentions there that, that there will be a second time which he will return. That Jesus even talked about himself. Jesus, back in John chapter 14, when he's talking to his disciples, he says this in verse 1. It says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also... And you know the way where I am going. And, and Jesus was talking to his disciples. And I don't know that they fully really understood at this moment what he was talking about. But how are you going to come back? You haven't even gone anywhere. You're still here. So how do you, how do you come back if you haven't left? Well, we see his leaving... A little later on in Scripture, a lot of people will go to Matthew 28 to to hear and to read of Jesus' ascension up into heaven. In Matthew 28, it does talk about that. And we, we call that passage of Scripture the Great Commission, where he speaks these last words to his, his disciples and what their mission is going to be. And then he ascends up into heaven. But there's also another passage that speaks of that in Acts chapter 1, where Jesus is speaking to his disciples. It's just another perspective from another writer who was writing these things down. And Jesus is speaking to the disciples and says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. what Jesus is saying this, this is 40 days after his death, burial, and his resurrection. And at this moment in time, we see something that happens to Jesus that honestly we would be just like the disciples, that if we were to see this, we would be in complete shock. We're just like they are. Keep reading here in verse 9. It says, and when he, meaning Jesus, had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And this is exactly what Peter is speaking of when he says the end of all things is at hand. And then he goes into what I believe, as I've been looking at this, four different things and four different areas, which I see this passage is calling us to, for us to step up our game until he returns or until the end, if if it's our death that comes first, that we step up our game in these areas. And that's what I want to look at here right now. So it says, the end of all things is at hand, therefore. And those of you that study God's word and have, have been studying God's word, you know this. But for all of us, maybe some are new to Christianity and new to studying God's word. This next word, therefore, we have to figure out what it is, therefore. Okay? So, in light of this, and in the light of the fact that the end of all things are at hand, Therefore, we need to, and the first thing here is, uh, therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. So therefore, have focused prayers. If you're writing things down and taking notes, that's the first thing I want you to write down. Therefore, have focused prayers. Now, in order for us to have focused prayers, there's two areas that it talks about that we need to focus in on. And one is self-controlled, and the other one is to be sober-minded. And if we look at what it means to be self-controlled, it really and truly is the opposite of what we've been looking at in 1 Peter, where it was talking about the lack of control. Someone who doesn't have control participates in all these other deeds or sins and things that entangle us. But for us to be self-controlled, in order for us to do that, we have to not be distracted. And for, In order for us to pray self-controlled in that self-controlled mindset— We can't be distracted. That may be distracted by sin. It may be distracted by some of the things that this world gives us that distracts us. I don't know. I mean, you know some of the things probably in your life that distract you from prayer. Um, I know one of the things for me. Hello? Like, I think this is one that's maybe a commonality for all of us. I mean, I'm not saying I want to do this because I kind of like the technology. I mean, it gives us access to use it for good things, but it can be used as bad things as well. Um, And and so so I could be distracted by this a lot, but I wonder what life would be like if we went back to the flip phone. (laughs) Uh, uh, There's some days I wish I did because I'm not accessible or whatever. I could kind of hide, but that's not the purpose uh, of what we're here for. But we've got to be self-controlled without distraction from our prayers. We also need to be sober-minded. What does that look like? Sober-minded. We, we look at that and we think about not allowing anything to control our mind. It goes back a little bit into the self-control thing. But really and truly, it's, it's allowing us to be able to watch or to see the things around us, to be sober-minded, to be in such a way that we're watching and looking about what's going on. So it doesn't keep us from praying the things we need to pray. Now I'll get to the prayer part in a second, but I think about the washing thing. It reminds me of one summer back when I was in college, um, where I worked landscaping stuff, and and working landscaping ultimately verified my call to do ministry. Okay, <laughs> just gonna be real there. Um, I, I I just I, I, in high school some summers I, I worked with a, a buddy of mine's dad who did roof work. Yes, that was my original call to ministry. So, um, no, I I I, I don't take away from anybody that ever does that, it's just, it was just kind of just not my, my niche, not my thing, right? And I was working with uh, somebody I knew, it was it was their uncle who had a landscaping company, and, and one of the first jobs I got was I had to spread mulch onto a hill, uh, at a width of a, like, uh, next to a street to which like it had, I mean, for me, it like spread on for miles, but I'm sure it was only like about 25, 30 feet lengthwise, and then up the hill, probably another 15 feet, 20 feet, but it was all uphill. And I had to get the mulch and I had to spread it, I had to take a wheelbarrow and take it from place to place, all this stuff. In the midst of while we were working, there, there was thunder in the distance. And, and if you're working with a pitchfork or working with different things that you do spread mulch with, and back in the day, this was back in, I think it was around 1995. Um, we were spreading the mulch, and the guy who's the, the friend of mine's uncle looks at me and said, Hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna go. to go. Um, I need to go do a few things, um, and I'll be back in a little bit. But you need to watch. There's a storm coming. There's a storm in the distance. And if that storm gets close, you're going to have to shut it down because I don't want to have to pay anything about you getting struck by lightning or anything like that, okay? So so we got to a place where I was working, but I was with the pitchfork, and I was just standing in the distance just kind of looking, and he comes back, and I'm just kind of watching, and I'm not doing anything. I'm not working. I'm just watching. And he's like, what are you doing? I said, you told me to watch the storm. <laughs> like, like... He's like, no, you need to watch and continue to work. Oh. See now, like, I'm still a freshman. Like, I didn't get to all that, you know. Um, no, but I feel like sometimes we look at watching and waiting on the Lord's return as we're just waiting on him to rescue us. We're waiting on him to come quickly. We're wait, you know, we're not Actively working. Yeah, just kind of standing and waiting and watching. And even that has prevented our prayers. But what prayers are we being prevented from praying? I I told the the teenagers not too long ago, I said, I've got a memory verse for you. I want you to memorize this verse. It's one of the easiest verses to ever memorize. And I'll I'll give you the same homework for a second, okay? And somebody like, really? Homework? Yeah. 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Easy verse. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Say it with me. Pray without ceasing. Continuously, y'all, we're supposed to pray. That's what uh, Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica here. Pray without ceasing. Don't stop praying. But we have things that distract us From the prayers that we're supposed to pray. And a lot of us have the picture of prayer as if it's like Santa Claus's list that this is what I want, okay? But that's not what prayer is about. In fact, Jesus taught us what prayer was, and this is a whole other series in itself. But if you want to go back to Matthew chapter 6 real quick, we'll look, read through what we know as the Lord's prayer. Now, this is a prayer that a lot of us will actually pray, and there's nothing wrong with that. But this is a model prayer that Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this, and he says, it says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And let lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And you look through this prayer, this prayer honestly has to start out with our focus on God. Where he says, our Father who art in heaven, our Father, our Dad, our Provider, everything, you are amazing. Hallowed be your name. How awesome are you. You made this universe. You have pulled me out of the miry clay. Oh God, you are amazing God. How awesome is your name. And then it doesn't go into, I say all that to butter you up because I'm going to get what I want right now, okay? Like the daddy kind of things, like, Dad, if you got kids, you know what that is. Like, can I, can I, can I stay out? And, can I get some money? Can I, can I, can I? That's not where it goes here. That's not where it leads into. Our Father, who art in he- heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom will be done on earth as it is right where you're at, as it is in heaven. God, give us this day our daily bread. See, and then now we're able to see clearly what we're asking for. We're asking for the necessities. And, and he, you know what? We, have, we serve a God who's interested in the necessities of our life and taking care of us. That even he takes care of the birds he takes care of, of the field. He takes care of all of those things. How much more does he love us and long to take care of us? Yet at the same time, we get distracted from these prayers. We get distracted from praying for, for what he desires. You know what he desires is that all men know him. He desires that each person come to know him, that not a single person should perish, but all would have eternal life. Scripture teaches that and shows us that, that he came, he died, and that ultimately he didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. John 3, 16 and 17 teaches us that. That is exactly what we should be praying for. If we're wanting his kingdom to come, then then we are praying for those such things. We are praying for those people around us for their salvation. But we get easily distracted from that. The end is at hand. The end is near. Therefore, let's have focused prayer. But, But I believe it steps into the next verse into something that honestly solidifies who we are in Christ if we are doing these things. And we see this in verses 8 and 9. It says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Sincere love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Second thing I want you to write down that is that we need to begin to love each other. Amen. Love each other. Now, some of y'all are like, man, I'm just tired of hearing this whole love kind of message. Love each other. But you know, it was important enough, Jesus talked a lot about love. Yes. Jesus talked so much about that. God's Word talks a lot about that. Paul dedicated chapters when he wrote about love. The The Apostle John wrote chapters in 1 John about love. I mean, like, love is important. But in this passage of Scripture, as Peter is writing about this, he says, above all keep loving one another. And who is one another here? And we got to answer that question here for a second. And I think we get the picture of who he's talking about here when we go back to 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 1 through 3. And you can go back and look at it yourself, but that tells us that he's talking about fellow believers. He is writing this to Christians. He is talking to other people who've decided to follow Jesus. So when he says Love one another. He's telling us to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And if anybody hears those word brothers and sisters in there, it's a reference to family. And if you understand family, you understand that sometimes family is a little bit dysfunctional. (laughs) I'm I'm just going to tell you right now that My family, your family, other families we know, we all have our ways of putting the fun and dysfunctional. Like we, we, we have our problems. We have our issues. But Peter is reminding us that we are to still love one another. And it says earnestly. And that earnestly, it's like, it's basically a thought of of being intentional. It's used in another passage or another version to do it fervently, okay? Like, like it is something that you're going to have to sometimes make yourself do. And in the body of Christ, we are finding ourselves sometimes only loving the ones that are like us, okay? Now, again, we're talking about the ones who have accepted the gift of salvation and that are walking and seeking to follow after him that are disciples of Jesus. Okay, doesn't mean we're perfect, doesn't mean we're better than the rest of the world, it just means we have accepted the gift of salvation. But though we have accepted the gifts of salvation, we still struggle with our flesh, and we still have issues that we're gonna have to love each other through. And it says when we do that, it says that love covers a multitude of sins. Now, I want you to understand that this is not permission, though, for us to turn the other way for sin. Okay? Covering it up is not what it's talking about. Enabling sin is not the thing. There's other passages of Scripture that talk about the body of Christ. When there is sin, going to that brother, going to that sister, and going to them in love Correcting, rebuking and encouraging and and walking them through a restoration process. And if they don't go through that restoration process, there's also other passages of scripture on how to go through those things. That's not what we're going through here. We're talking about when we struggle with each other, when we have sin or when we have things that we have to have reconciled and it's reconciled, that love will allow us to cover it up and move forward and move on. Okay? Like it is almost a picture of us digging a hole And saying, this is now reconciled. I will no longer hold it against you. I put it in the ground and I bury it and walk away. Love covers a multitude of sins. Okay? There has to be a reconciliation, potentially in that moment prior to that. But we have to get to the place where we no longer hold it against one another. First Corinthians 13, I referred to that a second ago. Paul talks, it's the considered the love chapter. We only tend to read it at weddings, okay? But really and truly, we need to apply it to our daily life with how we function amongst ourselves in the body of Christ. Because prior to that chapter is 1 Corinthians 12, where it talks about the body of Christ, that each of us are members of the body of Christ. And so when it's talking about love, it's not just talking about a, oh, I love you so much kind of love, okay? It is talking about a love you have to work at. And love keeps no record of. Wrongs. When it is reconciled, it's reconciled. It covers a multitude of sin. And Peter, I believe, is reminding the followers of Christ in this letter to do this because we don't do that very well. We don't. We get offended and we either push them out or throw them out or kick them out or or shoot them because they're wounded. And we don't want to deal with it anymore. But he is reminding us that we have got to begin to love each other. Scripture tells us Jesus is telling his disciples, ultimately us, telling us in John 13, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another, the world will know that we are his disciples if we love one another. The opposite's true too. The world will question whether we're his disciples or whether Jesus is legit. By how we don't love one another. One of the number one issues with the church of today, Big C Church, the church as we see it across the board, across the world, is the hypocrisy of the people that call themselves Christians. They don't love each other. Why would I want that kind of love or want to dedicate myself to a, a, a drive or a calling that Jesus is calling them to? Why would I want to be a part of that and not feel the love, or one day get pushed out or pushed away. It's time for us to wake up, church. We really have to get to that place where we truly love one another, so this world will know we are his disciples. Why? So they also can be a disciple. So they also can follow Jesus. It, Peter gives us a way in how we are to do this, and he says in verse 9, he says, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling now now in the south of all places this should be an easy thing because we're known for hospitality right but there's an extra little kicker at the end of that it says without grumbling because uh, I think we're also pretty good here in the south with showing hospitality and then talking about them behind their back when they walk away you know what I'm saying it's like did you see that truck he was driving oh dude that truck was amazing oh they walked up and it's like oh it's, it's beautiful. I bet you they're in debt now. You know we just talk about them all the time. You know, we we. Uh, am I am I being real? <laughs> I mean it's, it's a true story. That's that that's what goes on. But but I see this also in the four walls of a building that we call church, all across America. But but let's let's apply this even to who we are and where we are at here at New Passion. If if these are things we need to work on here, that when people come into this place, and we welcome them in. And, man, I am telling you, um, Ms. Debbie, your, your team is amazing. Like, the, the, how, how they welcome people from the parking lot all the way into the doors. Man, it is awesome. Where does it go from there, though? Where does it go from there? Like, where are we at in this thing called hospitality? Do we truly welcome them into our small groups, into our ministries, into our homes? Do we, do we break away from the comfortable friendships that we have to make someone else that's a follower of Christ feel welcome so that one day the Acts 2 church will actually happen to where we help take care of each other's needs and it doesn't matter whether they go to our small group or go to another church or anything else that we see a need and we meet a need? Hospitality without grumbling, that's a huge picture of what love looks like in the church. And what it should look like in the church. We've got to begin this process. And the only way we could do this is, it takes us to the third thing here, is that we use the gifts that we've been given, the gift of grace to serve one another. Look, look at verse 10. It says here, it says, As each of us has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now, when you come to know Jesus, we, we receive gifts from, from God, through the Holy Spirit. And each of us may have different gifts, but there is one I want to hone in on today that we all have received, and that is the gift of grace, that is grace that we have received through Christ. Ephesians tells us that it's for by grace you have been saved through faith, not of your own doing, but it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. This gift thing, this gift idea we see in in, uh, Romans chapter 6 verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Grace can be defined as unmerited favor. We don't deserve it, yet he gives it to us. We, we confuse it sometimes with mercy. That mercy is not getting what we do deserve. And what we do deserve as sinners separated from God is, is hell. That's what Scripture teaches us. And that, that is truly what we deserve. Yet, in God's great, amazing grace, He gives us salvation through His Son, Jesus' death, burial, and and resurrection that we could be restored to him a relationship with him that we cannot have without that gift of grace through what Jesus has done for us on the cross and beating death on that third day yet we need to bestow that same grace to each other you show me somebody in the church that's not showing someone grace and you'll show me somebody who does not understand the grace that they've been given through Christ. They haven't fully attached to what Jesus did for them. There's been times in my life where I was not fully attached to the grace that God has given to me, that I did not show grace to other people. And that's where the Spirit of God convicts us. That's where where Peter is writing to the church, writing to the Christians, the followers of Jesus, in this moment, and telling them that that they have received a gift and they are use it to serve one another. How can we serve each other in grace today? Being patient with one another, showing that love and kindness. Because honestly, y'all, it was that grace, but it was also the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. That's what Scripture teaches and tells us about His kindness, His grace that he poured out and gave to us. We have to get to a place that we show each other grace in our faults, in our failures, in our family. That's part of working through this this great puzzle of life together. But let me remind you that this also is the very reason why people are leaving the faith, that are leaving the church, is because they're not shown this grace. We sing of amazing grace, but we're slow to give it. Why should we give it? Why should we love? Why should we pray? Ultimately, it leads us to the very last thing right here, in verse eleven. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. To the end of all things at hand, this last thing we need to write down here is, do it all to and for the glory of God. Do it all to and for the glory of God. That first baseball team that I coached, I went through the whole season without telling them that I was a youth pastor. It's kind of a almost like a little a bit of a game. I, I just underlying game I wanted to play a little bit. Not not to do anything except just be a normal person because the moment you say somebody's a pastor, it's like everybody changes. It's like, you know, it, it's a conversation even if you're not considered a pastor, play that game one time and just tell someone you're a pastor and you'll see how they kind of clean up everything in that moment because they think there's something special about you. Being honest with you, I'm called just like you are to go make disciples. Just my occupation is just different. But I spent that whole season pouring into these guys, talking with them. Uh, I heard jokes by these guys that Definitely couldn't call say from this stage. Um, I heard words come out of their mouth. I've heard their families, things that they said, things that they were doing on the weekends. And I tried to pour into them and talk to them about how to be a good man, how to be all these different things. But here's what I got a chance to do at the very end. The end of the season, by the way, we won the championship. So we didn't get that that, uh, trophy for participating. We got a trophy for winning, okay? Um, But at the banquet, I stood up, told them how proud I was of them, and I said, I want to tell you something about me. And I went on to be able to tell them about Jesus and tell them about being a youth pastor. And some of them, when I said that, they're like, They're looking at each other like remembering the things they said in front of me, remembering some of the stuff that they did. And I was like, y'all, this season is important because it's gotten us to this place where we can celebrate the win. Well, I wanted to be able to celebrate with you one day, and I was able to tell them about Jesus. And through that, not every one of those players came to know Jesus. We did have one. We did have one. His name's Matt. And man, for him to come to know Jesus, that whole season was worth it. And in that moment, we were able to realize, I was able to realize, my wife was able to realize in that moment that I was able to do everything to the glory of God. Everything, even coaching baseball. But you know, as as the church, as followers of Christ, we know what Christ has done for us. We know the the win we know we get to spend all of eternity with our creator we get to spend all of eternity with jesus worshiping him in his presence we get to do all of that but until then let's begin to love and show grace pray for one another pray for god's kingdom to come because the end is drawing near every single day We can't let anything distract us. We can't let the devil himself, the enemy, come in and distract us with bickering and pushing back and forth and and those different things that divide us and separate us because that's, that's his win. He comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And he would love to destroy the believers and their family. He would love to do those things. But let's not let him do that. Let's love Let's show grace. Let's pray with one another to the glory of God. To the glory of God. And as it says, to him belong all glory and dominion forever and ever. It is what we're here for. Closing with this passage of scripture in Colossians 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's begin today. It doesn't, it doesn't matter where we've been in the past with this. Let's, let's begin today anew. As a, as a body of believers, let's begin praying together. Let's begin loving one another. Let's begin serving each other in grace all to the glory of God. In just a minute, as the worship team is going to begin to come up here, I want to give you a challenge because if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, As they sing this next song, as they worship in just a minute, we want to invite you to accept this great gift of salvation. Because I'm telling you, there is probably somebody in here that does not know Jesus as Savior. Well, Scripture tells us today is the day of salvation. It's a great day to give your life over to Jesus. For those of you that do know Jesus, use this time to recommit your ways to say, hey, I haven't done a great job as being part of this family of God thing. I haven't done a great job in light of the end is near and is coming up and coming close to where we are at. I'm going to commit today to start anew and work at this. Be intentional about these things. As we sing and as we worship now, in just a second after I pray, as they do that, I want to I call you to commit to that, it, whatever that may look like. It may be that you come and grab me. It may be that you grab one of our elders, or, or you maybe have a friend that you know that's walking with Jesus that's in this room, that you grab them and say, hey, we pray with me? Here's what I've got going on. Here's what I want to do. If you're online, it may be that you reach out with, with one of our hosts that are there and just say, hey, I want to know a little bit more about this, or I need somebody to help me walk in this way. Whatever it may be, let's use this time to commit what God has taught us here today and put it into action in our lives. Let's pray. Jesus, we say thank you for who you are. We say thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy, and how you have shown that to us so that we can show it to others in the body and so that ultimately this world will know who you are. God, again, I pray for that one that does not know you as Savior. And we pray that right now, that they would give into the salvation that you're offering them, that gift of grace that you're offering them through your, your son, Jesus, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. We pray that these things would be done because it is your heart, it is your desire that all would know you and come to eternal life. God, we pray for those that are struggling in their walk and loving one another and grace towards one another and serving one another in their prayer lives, and how they're praying for that day to come, your kingdom come, your will be done, whatever that may be, God, I pray that we would be humble enough to confess that before you and confess that before others. God, we say thank you again for your word, how it convicts us and gives us an opportunity to bring change to our lives. For it's in your holy and precious name we pray.